morning, everybody. How are we doing? Welcome to church at the Bridge Goldsboro. I'm so glad each of you are here. Did everybody have a good Thanksgiving? It's like, woo, it's kind of like I have too much turkey. How many of you just had turkey for breakfast? You just have that many leftovers, and it's just so full. Because you know that feeling you have after the Thanksgiving meal's over, and you're like, I wish I shouldn't have done that? And then give it 30 minutes, and you're back in there eating pie or something like that. That's kind of what we do on Thanksgiving. How many of you have leftovers right now? Yeah, plenty of you have leftovers. Uh, I think it's amazing how many ways you can repurpose Thanksgiving leftovers. There's, of course, sandwiches. I, I, I actually looked online. There are so many ways that you can repurpose turkey and leftovers from Thanksgiving. I actually saw one of my favorites. I want to show you a picture of it. This is called stuffing waffles. And for some of you, that sounds delicious. Some of you, that sounds absolutely disgusting. Uh, it might just be me, but if I'm going to eat something shaped like a waffle, I want it to have syrup on it and taste like a waffle. I want it to taste like breakfast food. Uh, but whatever you have uh, left in your refrigerator, from my family to yours, happy leftovers to you. Happy leftovers to you. Have you ever asked yourself, does my existence really make a difference? Have you ever asked yourself that? Um, there's an old movie that came out in 1946, and it plays every year at Christmas time, and it's called It's a Wonderful Life. It's about a man who basically asked himself that question, would it be better if he just never never been born. And he meets this angel um, who kind of helps him out, takes him on this journey, and he shows him what exactly his hometown of Bedford Falls would look like if he'd never been born. And as a result, there's hundreds of soldiers that die in the war, in World War II, uh, because he wasn't born. There are people that are close to him that are imprisoned, good people that are imprisoned because of accidents that happened, because he wasn't born. Um, and instead of the pretty little subdivisions uh, in Bedford Falls that he sees as a normal part of his town, um, this mean old man actually turned him into brothels and bars and gambling joints, all because he wasn't born. He had no clue that his life had that big of an impact on the people around him and in the city around him. And the moral of the story is one life really does make a difference. And I'm here to tell you this morning, your life really does make a difference in the ripple effect that it has in the people around you and in the community. And we're starting a series today called A Fresh Look at Christmas. Say fresh look. A fresh look at Christmas. And we're going to ask the question today. We're going to kick off the series asking, what if Jesus had never been born? What if Jesus had never been born? What kind of an impact would that have not only in the community, but in the society that we live in. And not just in the West, but in the entire world. Mankind, even. What kind of an impact would that have? I, I saw where there's a whole following of people uh, that kind of get into the whole alternative history scenarios. And they basically play out what could have happened or what maybe would have happened if certain key points in history um, hadn't gone the way that they had. They ask questions like, what if Robert E. Lee had not lost Gettysburg? Or what if John Wilkes Booth, the guy that shot Abraham Lincoln, what if he had missed? Uh, or what if Hitler had won World War II? And how would the world be different? And they play these whole scenarios out, and it's pretty interesting. But there was another guy that actually did uh, a, an alternative history on what if Jesus had never been born. And out of all the things that they've played out, there's none more interesting than the question, what if Jesus had never been born? What if the angelic chorus had never scared the shepherds? What if no star to guide the wise men? What if, what if there was no stable for a delivery room? I want to ask you a question, and we're going to come back to it later, but I want to ask you now, who is Jesus to you? 
I want you to kind of get that in your head because that's a question worth asking if we're going to explore what the world would be like without him. Who is Jesus to you? Is he a good man in history? Is he simply your ticket to heaven? Do you believe that he doesn't exist or didn't exist? And I'm just being honest. Or is he something much more? Now, as we explore this question, what would it be like if Jesus had never been born? I, wanna, I want you to contemplate that, and we're going to come back to it later. But, but what if Jesus had never been born? What, what would the world look like? What would society look like? One obvious way is our calendar. Did you know that we measure time in B.C. and A.D.? Anybody want to take a guess at what that means? This, this one obvious way means before Christ, and the A.D. stands for? Ah, somebody said it. It's a, it's a Greek term. A lot of people think it's after death, but it's actually a Greek term, anno domini, meaning the year of our Lord. And that's how we measure time. So every time you write a check and you write the date, you're actually acknowledging the existence of Jesus Christ. But there are many less obvious ways, and I want to go through a few of them quickly. Uh, but Jesus had a tremendous impact on the role of women in society. Did you know that? Did you know that in ancient culture, women were considered the property of the husband? And that just sounds blasphemy right here, doesn't it? And we just want to, like, rib our husbands and say, don't you get any ideas right now. This is ancient world stuff, but in ancient culture, uh, in ancient Rome specifically, they, they believed that the woman was the property. Um, in India, and this is interesting, up until the 19th century, women were considered property of their husbands to the extent that if the husband died, the women were buried alive with them in a casket and then burned alive. Yeah, isn't that crazy? And that, that happened up until the 19th century. Do you know that it was major, uh, largely in part due to missionaries that kind of did away with that? People following Jesus Christ um, were responsible for kind of helping that go away. The example of Jesus. In China, um, the belief is so strong, the influence of, of kind of the women kind of being the property of the husband, some of that still exists today. Uh, because of the population in China, they're only allowed two children apiece because the population is so dense there. Um, and the way that they look at it historically is uh, the, the, the children that are males, they're the ones that grow up and take care of you as parents. And so as a parent, you want males, you want boys, because the girls grow up and they follow their husbands and they go take care of his family. And so a lot of times, if and since you're only allowed two, if you have a female child, a lot of times you see them abandoning the babies as, as females or, or killing them. And that culture isn't as prominent as it was hundreds of years ago, but it still exists today. And that's why you see orphanages pop up for, for female babies. And there's, there's such a, a need in China to adopt um, little baby girls. But what did Jesus say when a woman was caught in the act of adultery? The woman, she was caught. And in John chapter 8, it says, If any of you is without sin, this is Jesus talking to her accusers, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. This was crazy talk back then. This was something that, that not, every, not everybody was thinking about because they had let the man go. But they were ready to stone her. And, and I want you to get this. Jesus shamed the men there. And if you remember the story, he, he drooped down and started to draw something in the sand. Nobody really knows what it was. There was speculations. But one by one, the men began to drop their stones and walk away. And he looked at the woman. Nobody did this. Jesus looked at that woman and said, I don't condemn you. Go and quit sinning. Think about this. Think about all the ways that God could have sent Jesus to earth. He, he could have sent him um, as, a, as, a, as a royal king. He could have sent him as a prince. 
and flaming chariots. I mean, he could have really done it up. He could have, he could have, he could have done that. He could have sent Jesus as an adult because he could just come and sacrifice for our sins and go on back to heaven. But what did he do? He entrusted the God of all to a woman named Mary, a young woman. So he, he did a lot, probably more than anybody in history, having uh, an influence on the role of women in society. Another uh, area of influence was the value of children. Did you know that in Jesus' day, killing infants was very common? Parents that didn't want a child, they would just abandon it. Babies with birth defects, they would just kill it off or abandon it. Um, Romans considered uh, a child the property of the father, not the mother, the father, until they were eight years old. And so until they were eight, the father could kill the baby or sell the child um, until then. And as a result, by the time Jesus came into the picture, um, less than half of children were alive. They died before they were eight half. And that was the world that Jesus lived in whenever Mark wrote this in Mark chapter 10. It says, then he, Jesus, took the children in his arms and he placed his hands on them and he blessed them. Quite the opposite of what was happening in that day in mind. And keep in mind, he, Jesus did this right after the adults were yelling at the kids, telling them to get away. They were trying to come to Jesus and the adults were yelling at him. Jesus said, bring them to me. And after this point, after the influence of Jesus, we see Christians adopting babies, adopting abandoned babies. We see orphanages and nurseries forming everywhere, all because of the influence of Jesus. Another really big area that Jesus had a huge influence in um, when it comes to our world is breaking racial divides. Jesus was the original unifier across ethnic lines. And we're not talking about just black and white. We're talking about Jews and non-Jews and, and every other area. He described a Roman soldier as having the most faith in Israel. This was, this was big. He healed a Canaanite woman, a non-Jew. He delivered a Gentile who was demon-possessed. Probably most profoundly, you may remember this story, he went to Samaria. Now, that Samaria, if you don't know the history between Samaritans and, and Jews, Samaritans were considered a mixed breed, not worthy of God back in ancient um, history. Um, and, and maybe some of that still exists today. There's bad blood there. And it all came down to who was worthy to worship God and where they were going to worship God. It was so nasty and bloody, they would avoid each other. They wouldn't even go through Samaria, Jews wouldn't. They would avoid it by walking around Samaria to get to the other side, sometimes adding days to their trip. Jesus went straight into Samaria with his disciples. He walked straight through it um, instead of avoiding. And, and not just to make good time, he actually ministered there. And he not only ministered to this woman, um, but she also turned around then and went to her whole town and ministered. And she became an evangelist, so to speak, came back to Jesus, and the whole town uh, ended up giving their lives to him. And Jesus stayed with them many days. You probably remember this story called the woman at the well. Have you ever heard of that? That, that was Jesus uh, breaking down racial divides. When everybody else was putting them up, Jesus was, was tearing them down. Um, one of the most powerful moments in the life of Jesus was right before he went to the cross. And he, he prayed this prayer in John chapter 17. He's praying to God. and He said, God, I, I pray that they will all be one, not divided into subgroups, not divided by race, not divided by, you know, ideals. He said, I just want them to be one, just as you and I are one. That's heavy right there. He says, just as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and they may be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. There is no divide between Jesus and, and God the Father. Did you know that? 
And, and he, his very prayer was, I pray that everybody under the sound of my voice, his voice, and all of creation would be one, just as he and God the Father were one. We can be different and still be in unity. Did you know that? And we have to be. In 1953, this is three years before Martin Luther King hit the scene, and 10 years before the 1964 Civil Rights Act, Billy Graham, you ever heard of him? He stunned people in Southern America, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He used to do these crusades all over the, all over the country, and thousands upon thousands of people would, would come to these things. And he's there, and right before the service begins, he walks down and he takes the ropes that separated the races, and he, he's basically saying, I want everyone to sit together. There's going to be no, no division here. And that doesn't sound like a big deal now in today's age, but that was a bold statement in 1953 in Southern America. And what was he saying? He was saying, you know what? It's time that the most intimate prayer of Jesus be answered and that that we all be one. And what was it? That was a Christian man following the example of Jesus that because Jesus has influenced him so much. The bottom line is this. Revelation chapter 5 says that there's coming a day when everybody, every, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every race is going to be standing around the throne of Jesus, and we're going to be gathered there singing, Worthy is the Lamb. And that simply would not happen if, if Jesus hadn't come. He, he's breaking racial divides. Another big influence that Jesus had in our world is the needs of the poor. Did you know that long ago there wasn't any inner city missions? There was no church food pantries. There was no church, uh, a bridge to hope mobile that we have now that we're so proud of. No soup kitchens. Um, but then after a while, relief agencies like the Salvation Army started to come around. Uh, relief agencies like Compassion International that sponsors thousands of kids all over the world, giving them medical treatment, giving them food, giving them education, and teaching them about Jesus. Samaritan's Purse, so many other agencies began forming all over the place, and every one of them were inspired by Jesus' words in Matthew 25, chapter uh, 25, verse 40. He says this, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Every one of them, the influence of Jesus. Did you know there was a Gallup poll done and 19 billion dollars with a B. 19 billion dollars are spent every year in the name of Jesus to help the poor. That's big. He added another 6 billion in this poll for volunteer labor every year. Closely related to that is the care of the sick. This is number five. Did you know that it was early Christians that started the first hospitals? Those that were following Jesus, not any hospitals, hospitals for the common man. Because way back in, in way early history, it was only the most wealthy, the wealthy of the wealthy that got health care. And in 325 A.D., this is the first century, church leaders met and officially decided that for every church they plant, they're going to put a hospital there too. Hospital for who? Hospitals for the common man. So hospitals began popping up everywhere that wouldn't have been there had it not been for people, namely Christians, that are following the example of Jesus. And along with that, if you just want to talk about medical advances, there's a whole list of Christians from Florence Nightingale to Louis Pasteur uh, who made major medical advances, every one of them followers of Jesus Christ. Is this sinking in? Jesus had a huge impact. Can you imagine what our world would be like if Jesus hadn't been born? Probably one of the most profound and close to home is this last one I want to talk about, and that's the forming of our nation. Now, this isn't political, but this is the influence that Jesus had um, in our world. 
if Jesus hadn't been born, the, the United States wouldn't exist as we know it. Matter of fact, scholars of alternative history, they speculate that we'd look more like 20, 20th century China. I, I want to share some facts and quotes that you're probably not going to find in a history book. Um, but 10 years after Christopher Columbus landed, does everybody know Chris? Yep. 10 years after he landed, this, this was in his journal. He said this, it was the Lord who put it in my mind to sail to the Indies. And all who heard of my project rejected it with laughter. There is no question the inspiration was from the Holy Spirit. That's powerful right there. John Quincy Adams, our sixth president, he wrote this, the birthday of our nation is indissolubly linked to the birthday of our Savior. Go back a little bit, 1620, before the pilgrims landed, having under, uh, they were sitting in the captain's cabin on the Mayflower, and they wrote what they called the birth certificate of America. Now, history books call it the Mayflower Compact. You probably heard that in history class. But this is what they, they got together and said, and this is what they wrote down. We whose names are undersigned, having undertaken for the glory of God and for the advancement of the Christian faith and the honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. And soon after that, we have wave upon wave of Christians coming to this new world. And in 1643, they formed a covenant, the New England Federation. And they said this, we all come into these parts of America with one and the same end and aim, namely to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. That was their purpose. That was their goal. It wasn't just to find new land. It was to get to a place where they could worship Jesus freely. That's what they did. Did you know that 52 of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence were Christians? Followers of Jesus? Followers of his example? Followers of his influence? Um, in George Washington's writings, uh, these are, this is primary source stuff, he says that they actually wanted to make him king. That's what they knew. It was a king in England. They came over, and so they thought, hey, let's make him king. And George Washington said, no, I'm not going to be a king. He said, there's already a king, and there's the one and only king, and that king is Jesus. He said, but I'll be the president. <laughs> and that's why we have presidents right now, and that's, that's why we don't have kings. And this is interesting. This is true. Whenever they fought England in the Revolutionary War, because of that, they ran into battle. This was a war cry that the warriors ran into battle screaming, and they would say, no king but Jesus, and they'd run into battle and they'd fight. No king but Jesus. Isn't that interesting? If Jesus had never been born, there would be profound differences in our world today. The role of women would be different. The value of children would be different. Our view of racial divides would be different. The needs for the poor would be different. The care of the sick would be different. The forming of the very nation that we live in would be completely different. And there's so many more. That's just some that that historians kind of talk about with the history. And all that's very interesting. But the real question today isn't how would life be different if Jesus was never born. The real question today that I want us to ponder is how would your life be different if Jesus was never born? Did you know that he came to be more than a great figure in society? He came to be more than just a name that we would remember through the generations. He came for you. And he came for me. And there are three things that I want to talk to you about today as we kind of end this message that are available to you and to me because Jesus was born. And the first thing is this. Because Jesus was born, I can call him friend. 
Because Jesus was born, you can call him friend. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24 says this. It says, there are friends, quote friends, who pretend to be friends, but there's actually a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And that friend's name is Jesus. Look at what he said in John chapter 15. He said, I no longer call you servants. He says, I have called you friends. Can you imagine the God of the universe coming down into human form and looking at a group of people that translates all the way to us today and says, I don't call you servants any longer. I call you a friend. Can you even wrap your mind around that? Can you wrap your mind, I mean, for crying out loud, if, if the mayor of Goldsboro came in here and said, I know, and then put your name in there and said, he's my or she's my friend, that would be a little bit, hey, I think I am somebody right now in front of this group of people. Can, can you imagine the, the governor of North Carolina coming in and saying, you, you're my friend, and looking at everybody, that's my friend. Bobby Ann, you probably stand up and say, that's right. I'm his friend. I mean, there's a sense of pride there. There's a sense of, oh, wow, I, I am kind of somebody right now. Can you imagine the president of the United States and going above that to the, the king over some huge province? Can you imagine the God of all creation looking at you and saying, that is my friend? It's hard to wrap our minds around. But because Jesus was born, he said, you're my friend. Because he came to this earth, you can go beyond knowing about him, but you can actually know him. There's a word in the Old Testament um, when, when it talks about uh, knowing and loving, and, and, and the word actually means in the Hebrew, yadal, and that actually means a deep knowing and being known. Not this casual acquaintance thing, not this, I kind of know of him, but there's this intimacy there. There's a deep knowing and being known, and that's what he, he says. Because he was born, you're not just some outsider. He says, you are my friend. And that's one of the reasons that he came as a baby in a cradle, because everybody can relate to an infant. Nobody's intimidated by that. He could have come as a, as, a, as, a, as a big wig, a big name. He could have come as an adult. He could have come as, uh, like I said, a prince riding on a fiery chariot. But he came as in the most humble and humiliating way possible. You want to know why? Because God Almighty wanted to make sure that you understood that everybody can relate to Jesus. He says, I call you friend. That's the reason that he came as a common man. He wanted to make sure that you knew that you could relate to him and be accepted. Christmas is not about Jesus coming into existence. You need to understand that. He already was. We all understand that, right? That's why John chapter 1 says this, before anything else existed, there was Christ with God. He's always been alive, and he himself is God. He existed since before time began, but yet he came at the very moment. The Bible says in Romans that at just the right time, he came. Christmas is not about him coming into existence. It's about him coming into our existence and us knowing him as friends. Secondly, because Jesus was born, I can call him Savior. You can call him Savior. Now, whether you think you need a Savior or not, I'm not going to tell you my opinion. I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says, okay? The Bible says this, we need a Savior. And not only that, but what's available to us. Listen to, to Romans chapter 3. He says, since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, that's pretty tough, isn't it? He said, and prove that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives that God wills for us. God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself as a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. 
Now, by the way, this is the Apostle Paul that God spoke through and wrote this to us. And he was pretty much one of the greatest Christians that ever lived, okay? Um, and you can read his history. This is amazing, this man. And if he's saying this, then we better take it to heart. Because the fact is, is we don't even really live up to our own standards, much less God's. And you think, well, I'm, I'm kind of good enough to get in to heaven because that's what we all would say. I'm kind of good enough, right? We wouldn't say I'm perfect. We wouldn't even really say I'm good. We kind of would say, if we could put it into words, I'm good enough. But why, if we stood before God in and of ourselves, why would God let us in to a perfect place when we're not perfect? Because God's standard is perfection. Isaiah says that whenever we try to go in and of ourselves, in and of our own, what we call goodness, he said, compared to God's standard, it's like filthy rags. Disgusting, filthy rags. Compared to God's standard, because God's standard is always going to be perfect, perfection. Why? Because God is perfect, and he is a perfect God. And I'm going to tell you, if he wasn't a perfect God, he wouldn't be worth praising. He wouldn't be worth singing those songs to, like we said, with those words that I pour out my praise to you only, because there's no other being, no other thing on this planet that's worthy of the praise that I have in my heart, God, so I give it to you. He's a perfect God, and I'm glad he's perfect. And his standard is perfection, and he knew that we couldn't, we couldn't match up to it. And that's why he paid such a great price, because he sent Jesus Christ, his son. He came down as God himself in human form. And he said, I'm going to pay the price for them. And it demanded that Jesus be perfect. And the Bible says that he was tempted the same way that we are, yet he did not sin. He says, now he offers us salvation. He was born 2,000 years ago so that we could know him as friend, but also to rescue us from ourselves. Did you know that the cradle of Jesus Christ and the, and the cross of Jesus Christ are tied together? If there was no need for the, for the cradle, there was no need for the cross. And there, there was no need for the cradle unless there was a need for the cross. If there was any other way to save us beside the cross, then he would have done that. But because there was a need for the cross, he came to us. Thirdly, I can call him Lord. You can call him Lord today. Because we're going to heaven one day, but there's this little thing called while I'm still here on this earth and I need help and and, and I, I would imagine that you do too and that's a facetious way to say that we all need help we all need guidance we all need somebody that can help us along listen to what Paul said by the way this is the same guy uh, that I was talking about the greatest Christian who ever lived probably Romans chapter 7 this is what he writes being very vulnerable he says I, I do not understand what I do anybody ever been there I don't know why I just did that. I'm such an idiot, right? He says, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, that's what I end up doing. He says in verse 17, as it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living within me. He begins to understand that he has this sin nature that works against God that he lives with. We all live with. He says, it's sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Look at under verse 24. He says, what a wretched man I am. That's a, that's a statement there, isn't it? Who will rescue me from this body of death? And then he points to the solution. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Say these last two words with me. Our Lord. 
Thanks be to God. He's the only one that can rescue me from this, from this sinful nature that I have that is inherently disobedient to the things of God. The things that I want to do, those are the things that I don't do. I want to do them. I desire to do them. But the things that I end up doing, I just keep getting drugged back into this, this habit of sin, this cycle of sin. Who's going to rescue me from this? It comes from Jesus Christ, our Lord. It, it comes from, from me submitting myself to him and calling him the Lord of my life. Not just this acquaintance, not just this, this person in history that would be really you know, cool to kind of know from a distance, to kind of come to church and sing about, but to actually when I walk out of these doors, I'm calling him the Lord of my life and I'm submitting myself to him because he's the only hope I have. Paul had been forgiven of his sins, but he kept falling back into the same patterns. And Jesus knew that we'd have this problem. So in his prayer before the cross, he said, make them one, unify them. But he also said this, he said, and sanctify them. You ever heard that word? If you've been around the church world a long time, you may have heard the word sanctification. Sanctify, it means two things. It means to set apart for service, and it means to be made clean to set apart for a service and to be made clean. Did you know that Jesus chose you? The Bible even says we didn't choose him, he chose us. If you look at the big picture of things, he, he chose us. The word in Ephesians says that before the foundations of the earth were created, he knew your name. The Bible says he chose you then to be holy and blameless in his sight. You couldn't do it yourself. That means he had the plan for Jesus even way back then. That's some kind of love. That's before he even made the very first man and woman, he knew, and he made them anyway. It says he chose you to be clean, to be set, set apart. And when he came to save you, he didn't do it just out of pity. He chose you to fulfill a role in his kingdom. He's got plans for you. He chose you to be clean. He chose you to be holy and blameless. And those really aren't two words that we think we are when we think about being a Christian or we think about just being us. Well, holy doesn't come to mind. I mean, if you've ever been on Facebook and they're like, hey, describe yourself in one word. Well, we don't normally go, holy, click, that's it. <laughs> that, that's not the word that we use. Struggling, trying, doing my best. Those are the types of, of words and phrases that we use. But holy, no, that's not it. But the Bible says that God looks at us and he says, be holy because I'm holy. And God doesn't ask us to do anything that you're not capable of doing in him. Try to do it in and of yourself, you'll fall every single time. But he says, when you come to me, when you understand that I chose you, when you don't just acknowledge me, but you call me the Lord of your life, you will live out a lifestyle through my help, through my lordship, that is blameless, that is clean, that is set apart, that is holy. It doesn't mean that we're perfect, but it means that we're forgiven. It means that we have a, a dad in heaven, an Abba father, a daddy. That's what the word says it means. That loves us. And when we're in the fellowship of the home, man, there's so much grace, so much forgiveness, so much learning, so much forward movement. That happens. I always like to relate it to my kids because our relationship to our Heavenly Father is much the same as a parent, a good, healthy parent, that is, a godly parent. My, my kids can leave home, you know, and they can go do their own thing, and they can, they can go out into the world and decide that they're not going to associate with me anymore. They're no longer going to live under the authority of Dad. They're no longer going to live under the authority of Mom, and they're just going to go out and do their own thing. They can do that, um, but they can also come back, too. 
And when they do, there's lots of forgiveness there. It doesn't mean they're perfect, but it means they live inside the home under the authority uh, of dad, under the authority of mom. And guess what? I take him back. Take him back. Why? Because he's my son. And so when we're living under the lordship of Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we're snobs. It doesn't mean we're goody two-shoes. How many of you have the thinking, and I used to, that if I, if I call Jesus Lord and really give him my life, then immediately I'm never going to have another fun day for the rest of my life. <laughs> Let me tell you something. That ain't God. That's stuffed up religious people that have given you that impression. And they had them in Jesus' day. We certainly have them in our day. When Jesus came to this earth, he gave us the ability to call him Lord and to live like it. I want to ask you this question again that I started with. Who, who is Jesus to you? Who is he to you? Is he some acquaintance? Is he somebody far off? Is he somebody that you don't think you could ever kind of relate to or you don't think you could ever live up to the standards that he has? Because, because he was born... You can call him friend. Because he was born, you can come close to him, to somebody who understands you, not unrelatable to. Because Jesus was born, you can call him Savior. To wrap up all of your wrongdoings, to wrap up all of your insecurities, to wrap up all of the things that plague us, keep us up at night, make us cry tears of, of deep sorrow. And save us from all that. Because he came to this earth, we can call him Lord of our lives. And I just, I just want to know as we talk about this today, who is he to you? Because you've been, you've been given a lot. There's a lot that's been made available to you by God himself. There was uh, a neighbor that I have uh, who was talking to me yesterday. We were out in the backyard, and I was throwing the football with my oldest son. And, and uh, she said, hey, Ryan, from across the yard. And I went over to the fence, and they had a bunch of family out there, and we were talking about the family, the family that was visiting, all the kids that were running around. And, and her husband uh, is actually deployed. And I, I said, well, how's, you know, I said his name. How's he doing? And as soon as I said his name, her face lit up. Big smile came across her face. Oh, he's doing good. He's going to be home in one month. I can't wait to see him. I said, yeah? She said, yeah. I said, have you talked to him a lot? Why is oh, well, we've been doing FaceTime and everything. I'm so grateful for FaceTime, but I can't wait to see his face. He's going to be home soon. And I just, I just realized right then, this is something so much more than just a casual relationship going on between them. There, there is some kind of love going down right there. there. The smile on her face wasn't just a facial expression happening right here. It was something tied down way down deep to her heart when she started talking about her husband. There was, there was something deep there, so much more than just this casual relationship. And I find it interesting that the Bible, time and time again, describes our relationship with Jesus as a marriage. And I want to ask you, who is Jesus to you? Who is he? Does your face light up like that when you think about the words that we sang on this, on this screen? Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. All my sins, all my, all my grief, all my shame, everything in me that just pulls me in the other direction. The blood of Jesus Christ covers me. It was an intimate sacrifice that he made just for me, as far as I'm concerned when I'm singing it, and I know he did it for all of mankind. Who is he to you? Is it just a, a casual relationship? Is it just some kind of roommate thing where he's there, but you don't really... 
just when you need him? Or is he so much more than that to you? Whoever Jesus is to you, I want to share who the Bible says he is. And there are so many names that the Bible describes and gives to Jesus. So many names that God gives uh, as his way of relating to us. And I want to I end the service this way. I'm, I'm going to read them. Just a long list that I have here, okay? I'm going to go through them pretty quick. And when I call out his name that most resonates with you, this is what I'd like us to do. Can we do this? When I call out the name that most resonates with you, I just want you to stand to your feet. And I just want us to end this service recognizing who Jesus is to us. Starting this Christmas season, starting the series that we're in. Can we do that as a church? Can we do it? So I'm, I'm, I'm just going gonna, gonna to start reading here, okay? And when, when, when I call out the one that just resonates with your heart, and you're going to know, you're going to feel it. It's going to be like, boom, that's it. I just want you to stand up. Don't worry about being the first one, because actually you're not. I'm the first one. I'm already standing. Here we go. Advocate. The Lamb of God. Judge. That's okay. Lord of Lords. The resurrection and the life. Man of sorrows, the shepherd and the bishop of souls, the head of the church, master, faithful and true witness, rock, someone to stand on, the door, high priest, living water, the bread of life, the Rose of Sharon, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I don't know what problems you're going through, but he is the beginning of that. He is the end of that. The true vine. The Bible says when we're plugged into the true vine, we bear fruit. The Messiah, that means our Savior. Teacher. Holy One. The Mediator. The Beloved. The branch, carpenter, good shepherd, the light of the world, the word, the image of the invisible God, chief cornerstone, savior, servant, the author and finisher of our faith, the almighty, the everlasting father. The Lion of the tribe of Judah. The I Am. The King of Kings. The Prince of Peace. The Bridegroom. The Only Begotten Son. Listen, Wonderful Counselor. (laughs) Emmanuel. That means God with us. He came to be among us to save us from our sins. The Son of Man. Dayspring. King of the Jews. He was the prophet. He was the redeemer. He was the amen. He's the anchor of my soul. He's the bright and morning star. He is the way, the truth, and the life. His name is Jesus Christ. And I just got to say, church, he's worthy to be praised this morning. I wonder if you could take 10 seconds and just give him some praise in this house. Jesus. Hallelujah. God, we acknowledge you. We acknowledge your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, you see every heart. 
you see every person. God, you see every soul. And God, we've all acknowledged this morning and all the many names that you have and on all the ways that you relate to us. God, we do recognize you. And Jesus, you are prevalent in our lives and in this church. I want to read one more scripture to you before we go, church. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, it says this, Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, that being Jesus, and he gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His name is Jesus, our friend, Jesus, our Savior, Jesus, our Lord, and he's worthy to be praised. We're going to pray together before we go. And as we do, our prayer partners will be coming down. If you want to have prayer this morning, you can certainly do that down here at the front with them. God, we just, we invite you into our lives. Father, especially, God, during this season, we, we don't just want this to be some Christmassy thing in terms of the marketing and, and just kind of let it go by without first understanding that you didn't come just so that we could celebrate kind of once a year but that you came so that we could call you our friend, that you could be our Savior, Lord, and that ultimately you be our Lord for our entire lives while we're here on this earth. And God, one day we know that because you were born, because, as Romans says, you at just the right time you came to this earth, at just the right time you died for our sins, demonstrating your deep love for us, that while we were turned in the other direction, you died for us. We want to understand that that's, that's so much more than, than just our everyday reality on earth, but that has an eternal impact of where our souls are going to eventually end up. And we're thankful for that. We're thankful that we don't have to, to end up in a, in a hell that was not made for us. So much so that you came and you sacrificed as much as you possibly could have. All of you, every part of you, you gave for us. And we make much of that. And we just want to give you our lives once again. If there's anybody in this room today that has, has never made that decision, has never said, God, I want you to be the Lord of my life, I believe right now that God's just, he's kind of pulling at your heart, that deep kind of feeling. Maybe it's a little uncomfortable, and it's not condemnation. It's not, you know, reminding you of past or guilt. The Bible says very plainly that that's not God. God doesn't do that. He, Jesus even said, I haven't come to condemn the world but to save it. And if you're feeling that tug at your heart, I just want to tell you that's, that's God's love pulling at you. And I just want to encourage you not to ignore that. And I'm going to say a prayer. If we could all just say this together, all the believers in the room and maybe those who haven't crossed that line of faith yet. And if you want to agree with this prayer, God hears your heart. And he can save your soul today. And you can walk out of this door calling him the Lord of your life. And he'll accept you as if you've never sinned in the first place. And change your eternity. Lord, I just, I want to tell you that I can't make it without you. I believe that I'm a, I'm a sinner in and of myself. I can't, I can't do it myself. If I could have fixed my life, I would have already done it. I accept you, Jesus. I accept your sacrifice for me. I believe that you really came to this earth. I believe that you really died for my sins. I believe that you really rose from the grave, and I believe that you're in heaven now. I believe if it wasn't for you, I could, I could never make it on my own. I could never make it in this life. I could never make it to heaven. And I want to call you the Lord of my life. 
I'm not perfect, God, but every day when I wake up, I want to aim my heart at you and live for you the very best that I possibly can. And I trust you to make up the difference in my life. And I thank you for calling me friend. I thank you for giving me the ability to call you Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name.